Thank you for joining me, Bertie Brits, today in this broadcast of Dynamic Web Church. I'm so privileged to come and just share this message of God's unconditional love with you. I'm excited about what God is doing in Dynamic Love Ministries. I'm excited about the Web Church and what God is doing in the lives of people. And as I share this gospel of grace with people, I find that more and more people are just falling into this message of grace. They grab it with everything that's in them. And God's really opening doors, giving us favor, and showing people this message of God's unconditional love. Amen. If you're a first-time viewer of Web Church, I want to welcome you. I want to just say, open your heart, receive this message of God's unconditional love with an open heart, and it will impact your life in a very powerful way. Hallelujah. I also want to thank everybody that's been inviting people to watch Dynamic Web Church. The vision that I have with Dynamic Web Church is not to see that, see, see how big church I can build out of my own power, but Dynamic Web Church has got a vision to see people establishing the message of grace. And the more people slot into this thing, the more people are getting the message of God's unconditional love, and the more potential there is to see people established in this message of grace. The wonderful thing that I've seen when people really get into this message is that um, they're not high maintenance. It's not as if you're going to go to the house every day saying, man, get over this problem, get over this problem, I want to help you with this or that. Yes, you'll, you'll pray for people and you'll encourage them in the message of grace and in the love of God, but they've got their own relationship with God. And that's what the gospel is all about, about you having your own relationship with God. Hallelujah. That is just exciting to know that you can talk to God yourself, that God approves of you, that God speaks to you, and that God loves you just the way you are, and that He has perfected you in Jesus Christ, and that you come short in nothing. Hallelujah. That's what, that's what the Bible says in Corinthians. He says to the people, he says, listen, I'm so glad that you're in the message of grace, that you come short in nothing, that you've been perfected in Jesus Christ. The only thing you do now is wait for the return of the Lord Jesus. So here we are, perfect beings, perfectly recreated in Jesus Christ, having the fullness of God dwelling within us. And all of that is within us and we patiently wait for the return of the Lord where we will see the manifestation of the fullness that is already within us. So we don't walk as people that say that we don't have fullness. We don't walk according to the flesh. We don't judge ourselves according to our works and according to what we do. That's not how we judge ourselves. We judge ourselves spiritually. Those who are spiritual discern things spiritually, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. So I compare myself with Jesus and what He's done in the Spirit and how He is today and what the Father has done in Him, for He is the representative of man. When God became man, then man became godly, and if he can believe that, that godliness is accounted to him. Amen. One thing I want, I want you to just be sure of, and that's why we preach the gospel, is that salvation came and appeared unto all men, and whosoever believes that is saved. But those who does not believe, they are condemned already. That's what the Bible says in... Um, in John chapter 3, the, the chapter that speaks about the love of God. He says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes in Him might have eternal life. But those who don't believe are condemned already. First John chapter, um, one, first John chapter 5 says that those who believe are born of God. So we are not born of God if we don't believe the gospel. The new life has appeared unto us and has come to us and Jesus represents us and He's done it all for us. 
but there's a time when you come to a realization of what He has done for you. And the day you, re- you come to that realization is the day when you actively make use of what He has given. It's like the Bible says. He says, um, you know, with the, there was a wedding feast and uh, the master went and he invited people to the wedding. And people had a lot of excuses. And then he went to the streets and invited all those, um, you know, that was just on the streets begging and the, and the sinners and everybody. And they came. And then Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. Now, the way that works is many are called. God calls everybody. Everybody has been called to this um, marriage supper. Everybody has been called to the finished work of Jesus Christ. It has been done for everyone. And a new life is being offered to everybody. The food is there. It has been paid for. Like at the marriage, the food's there. The drink's there. Everything is prepared. The tables are laid out. Your seat is there, named for you. But you come to a place where you say, well, I don't want that. And that will not be forced down your throat. So whosoever, you know, is called must also choose to go. So God chose you to put you at that table, to put you at the place where there is fullness, where there is provision, where there's everything. But uh, what's your choice about this thing? Do you accept the fact that God has chosen you? If you don't accept that, unfortunately, that is not part of Um, You know, there's no salvation outside you believing what God has done for you. And that's the way it is. And and many people say to me, badly, but why has God, you know, why must we now believe? The whole thing, the way God made Adam from the beginning, everything was faith-based. God made Adam, said to Adam, Adam, don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but eat of the tree of life. And and eat, if you take the the, the word eat um, in the Hebrew Uh, language and the way we partake when we eat. We can take it also to where Jesus said, and he spoke Hebrew, he said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Eat means, and and we know that we don't physically go and eat Jesus in order to uh, have something of him. And and, you know, there's a teaching that says when you take communion, that that, uh, bread becomes, physically becomes the body of Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you something, I don't think that's the truth. A person that believes that can eat that bread and we can take a sample from his stomach and see if it became human flesh. And I can tell you now that that is still bread. It is what you believe about it. Amen. When you say, well, I ate of Jesus, meaning I believed in Jesus. The commandment that he gave us was to believe on Jesus Christ. And the way we eat or partake of Jesus is by believing. Adam had to partake of God through faith by believing. Abraham had to partake by believing. And the same with us. This is not a new rule that God has placed there. This is because God has given us a free will so that we can come and be persuaded of what He's done for us about who He is, who we are in Christ. And out of that persuasion is actually the way we allow God to manifest what He has already done freely in our hearts. Now, persuasion doesn't come by your hard work for God. Persuasion simply comes by hearing the good news. Amen. So, don't try to be persuaded. Hear the correct message and you'll find true persuasion in your heart. Now, um, we, I want to read a scripture from Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Hallelujah. Um, it says here from verse 1, it says, For I know, uh, sorry, for I would that you know what great conflict I have for you 
and for them that, at Lodis, that are at Laodicea, for, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches, now listen to this, he talks about riches here, he says, unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, what he says there, there's a riches in the full assurance of understanding. You know, if you are fully assured, and you understand the finished work of Jesus, there's a richness in that. There's a blessing in that, if you understand what God has done. So let's not read the Bible from the perspective of just commandments. We want to read the Bible from the commandment, from the perspective of the new command, which is to believe in Jesus and to have the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement, and this is what the full assurance of understanding is. It is the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all treasure of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. So what he's saying here, he says, listen, what, what I want for the church, even those that, ne- that I've never seen face to face, has never seen me face to face, is that they come to the place of the full assurance that there is in understanding what God has done for us, and that is to the acknowledgement of the mystery which is Christ inside me already, the fullness of God already in me, which also brings a confident expectation of the manifestation of glory in my mortal body, which means that I will be changed into immortality. That's what God has given to us. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. So he says, listen man, the fullness and the greatest blessing is, is to understand the mystery of the Father and of Christ and what He's done for us and this whole thing. He says, and this I say, lest any man would beguile you through enticing words, because there might be people that will say to you, listen, there's something more in God. And um, then just the simple message of what Jesus Christ has done for you. So he says, listen, there's a full assurance that you can have. And there is a riches and a love that comes out of that into our hearts when we know what is freely done for us. You have been forgiven. You have been made righteous. You've been made the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. The fullness of God is inside you. And we're going to read that right now. It says, And this I say, lest any man beguile you with enticing words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order, and your steadfastness um, of your faith in Christ. So, he says there's an order and a steadfastness in faith in Christ. In other words, they're not having a different order. The order they have there is Jesus, and like I would say, the order in my ministry, and in the, in, in the way we read the Bible is, how does whatever we want to say pertain to God becoming a human being, uh, Him obeying on our behalf, dying on our behalf, being resurrected on our behalf, and Him returning in human flesh, um, or glorified human flesh, or glorified flesh to this earth. Hallelujah. That's, that's, a, that's the order. There's a good order. Amen. So there's an order that's according to Jesus Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. 
So let's, let's, let's walk in the Lord the way we received Him. How did we receive Him? We have an open heart. We said, yes, Lord, your good news, that's it. Thank you for your message of forgiveness and grace. We receive it by faith. Hallelujah. That's the way it is. I believe it. And out of that simple faith, we've experienced the manifestation of the power of God saving our souls, giving us a new life. Amen. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In other words, don't change now thinking that there's deeper revelations than the simple thing that God has given us in Jesus. Walk by that. If we continue to believe that, you'll find the manifestation of power in that as well. And then it says how we walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So what do we do? We, we continue to believe what He has freely given us and we abound therein in thanksgiving. So we don't abound therein in works, trying to work this thing up. Trying, no, by just thanking God for what He's given us. That's how we abound in it. Amen. Now, I don't, this is actually what I want to preach about. Now, let's go on to verse 8. It says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the basic rules of this world and not after Christ. And that's what I want to say. You know, so many times we can be spoiled. And that spoiled doesn't mean to spoil a child in the sense of blessing him with stuff. To be spoiled, that means to, to be messed up, man. To, to be broken down. Um, to be made rotten. Through philosophy. Now, that word philosophy um, is, is just a philosophies that people had. And that was a typical Jewish thing. Philosophies on what to do to get God to bless you, what to do to be holy before God and all that. Don't be spoiled by that. Because all of that is after the traditions of men. There's so many traditions in churches today. And, and what they teach is after traditions. You know, we come together, we only stay here for an hour and 20 minutes or this. Then we sing these three songs. Then we do it this way. We don't do it another way. We only wear these clothes. And, you know, we... We keep quiet and say nothing, type of thing. And they've got their own rules and that you've got in charismatic, Pentecostal, Dutch Reformed churches, any type of church you get that. And that is all of the basic principles of people, or traditions of people, and after the basic rules of this world, and not after the anointed one and his anointing. For in him, now this is what he says, don't let anybody tell you you need something. It says, for in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principalities and powers, in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are raised with Him, through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised Him from the dead. And you being dead to your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which is the law, which is the guilt that was written against us, which was contrary to us, and He took it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. But man, isn't that awesome? He's taken the law away, so that we can stand righteous before God because there's nothing that can find us guilty. There's no need that we have. And let nobody tell you we need something. Now I want to just say this plain forward. The fullness 
of God dwells in Jesus Christ bodily. And we have that fullness. That means, because we've got human flesh, because we can 100% identify with Jesus, there's nothing that I need. And what happened was, there was still an emotion or a feeling of need in the lives of people. That feeling was the yearning for an immortal body. And then people came and used that thing to tell people, you know, that thing you need more, do this, 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 and then that's going to manifest and you're going to be blessed. No, listen, have the simplicity of the gospel inside you. We believe that in Jesus we have the fullness of God. And I don't care if the fullness of God doesn't manifest in my physical body right now. I already have it in the Spirit and I judge all things according to the Spirit and the fullness of God is in me. I stand before God because of Jesus Christ, sinless and blameless. Not because of my works. In my works you might find sins. But according to the Gospel, I stand sinless before God, righteous with the fullness of God in me and there's no needs that I have. That's the first thing Psalm 23 says, The Lord's my shepherd, I have no needs. One of the attributes of the children of, of the work of God in the lives of people that got no needs. Amen. I have no need. But Bert, you need some money. You need some healing. You need some... I have no needs for that for I am full in Christ. The fullness of the Godhead indwells me through Jesus Christ because I'm in Jesus Christ. You're not living immortal in this world. Well, I've already got immortality and the Holy Spirit that's in me and this fullness that's in me shall manifest in some day and it will be proven unto you in that day that it is like that. But I have it all and I don't desire or hunger for anything. I've just got a confident expectation with patience for the full manifestation of what's already inside me. But my eyes is not on what must manifest sometime. My eyes are on Jesus inside me. Hallelujah. So I want to tell you, don't walk in condemnation today. When we worship today, let's not worship with an attitude that says, Oh God, you know, um, let's just pull down heaven and try to get God to do something for us. No, no. When we worship, we worship in an open heart. Amen. Now we're going to have four songs in the worship today. So um, just for you to know, you can count them if you want. Uh, because some people don't know how many we use. Some people, they, it's expensive for them to listen to this over the internet. They switch it off. But we're going to have four songs. Um, listen to this. Enjoy this. I want everybody to be part of this. Man, as this music just flows through you, open your heart and just allow the peace that it brings. You know, to just saturate your mind, saturate your life. Because that music is, is designed and it has been given by God to work in the heart of a person to stir his faith. Amen. Let's just worship together. Hallelujah. Man, that worship was just awesome, awesome, awesome. You don't know how, you don't have to know how to pray. You can just call on the name of Jesus. If we know what the name of Jesus stands for, and we can, by faith, call on the name of Jesus Christ. We will call on the name of Jesus with power. And it's a wonderful scripture in the Bible that says, You shall call the, the son or the child Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. So, he is Jesus Christ, or the Messiah. Another word for Christ is the word Messiah. The Hebrew word is Messiah. The, the Greek word is Christ. And it simply means God with us. Or Emmanuel, sorry. Emmanuel means God with us. Christ means 
the Messiah, the one that came to save their people from their sins, with the authority and the power to save people from their sins. So we can know that God is, or Jesus Christ, uh, the one that is enabled to save people from their sins, is God with us. Amen. So if a message contains God, if a message is um, carrying the presence of God, if it's God with us, we know it's a message of no condemnation and a message that sets people free from their sins. That doesn't look at their sins. That doesn't have a viewpoint of sin. Now, I want to talk a little bit about sin today. I know last week we started in the, in the book um, of, Ephi- of, of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, but I just thought it good to just um, start to chat a little bit on um, sin and then we'll get back to the book of Galatians. Right, we're going to read from First uh, John. First John, and verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. These things are right unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now that is an awesome statement, because so many times we think that there's darkness in God. That means that if we are in Jesus Christ, that there's still darkness in us. We can't say that there's darkness in God. There's no darkness in God. If we are in Jesus Christ, we are in the light and we have fellowship with God in that light the way Jesus Christ is in the light. For in God is no darkness. So don't think that the moment you are in Jesus Christ that there's darkness in you. There's no darkness in you. There's only light in you. And so many times we think we need to add to the gospel of grace for it contains darkness. The gospel of grace does not contain darkness. We don't have to add the law to it. We don't have to add certain guidelines to it to get righteousness, to come to the church or anything like that. No, we don't have to add anything. In God is light and in Him is no darkness. And if we are in Him, we are in light and in us is no darkness. And you might say, but Bertie, I still do things wrong and, and I've i found in my life that I get upset and I get angry and I, um, every now and then I feel stingy, I don't want to give or something like that. Well, that doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that you are not in the light and that you are full of light. The way God sees us, God's perspective about us is the truth. So if you find shortcomings in your life, don't worry about that. Now, you might say that, but that is a very dangerous thing to say. I need to work at my mistakes. No, that's not what we do. We don't work at our mistakes. We work at understanding the gospel of grace. For the fruit of the gospel of grace is, and we can go and read it quickly in Galatians. Let's just read that. Um, Galatians chapter 5. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you might say, Bertie, but we're not talking about the gospel of grace. We're talking about the Spirit here. The fruit of the Spirit, and if you go to Galatians chapter 3, it says that the Spirit, or when you are in the Spirit, is when you are in the message of God's grace and when you believe the finished work of Jesus Christ. Right. So, when you are in the Spirit, when you are in the gospel of Jesus or in God, the the Holy Spirit is also God. When you are in God... You are in light, and in Him is no darkness. Now, this is what it says. It says, But the fruit of being in God or in the light is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. 
Now, just out of that piece, you can see that Paul was actually defending the statements that he made because people said that, you know, um, if you're just in the gospel of grace, you still need a little bit of the law because the law will give you guidelines on how to live holy, how to live righteous. You don't need the law at all when it comes to holy living. You just need a full revelation or an understanding of what God has done for you. Believe you are righteous. Believe that you are in the image of God, that the, the light of God indwells you, that there's no darkness in that light, and that the fullness, like I've explained now, uh, before the worship, of God dwells in us. And as you believe that, the fruit of believing that, the law of Moses has got nothing against the fruit that comes out of a life, believing what Jesus Christ has done. But when you keep on believing in the law, or you want to uh, believe the good news and have the law guidelines, you are in trouble because the fruit of being in the flesh or seeking justification by what you do is murder, drunkenness, fighting, and all those type of things. So, um, the very thing that, that, that people want to bring forth, the holiness that they fight for by trying to uh, mix the law with grace is the thing that they are really not establishing. They are really breaking it down. So, the only way to real holiness is the finished work of Jesus Christ. So, in God is light and, uh, um, and in Him is no darkness at all. So, you can know that when you are in God, you are in the light. Let's read it again. Verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, uh, so many times when we, we read that wrong, we say that if we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, do anything wrong, then we, um, we are lying and we are not really saved. But that's not what that scripture says. What that scripture means, and we must, we must see the difference between light and darkness. When the Bible talks about light and darkness, it talks about uh, being in the light, in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And darkness, it talks about being under the law. Being under a mentality that says, by what I do, I will become. That is having the eyes of your understanding darkened. Because people didn't understand the message of grace. You will be enlightened to understand. Paul prays, he says, and then he speaks to people that were under the law. I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, for they are darkened. The Bible says in First Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, that by the reading of the law, there is your eyes are veiled and you cannot see. So, darkness does not speak about doing a wrong thing according to the law. When you, Jesus is light and anything and any way to salvation outside of Jesus is not light. He said, I am the light of the world. Whosoever comes to me, he will enlighten and give light. So, the law is not the light of the world. It's the darkness of the world. Now, the law is holy, but it reveals darkness to you. It means darkness to you because um, it spells condemnation, judgment, and guilt. That's just the way it is. Okay. Uh, it says in verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, or under the law we lie, and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, now that is what I said uh, earlier this morning, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, if we walk in the revelation of what is done for us, as He sees it, Amen, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of 
Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, so we are, we are cleansed from all sin the moment we believe the way Jesus believes. And then he says we've got fellowship with each other. Now that is very, very important. That makes us brothers. Now, John chapter 1 was not written to Christians. It was written to people, or First John chapter 1. First John chapter 1 was not written to the brethren. It was written to those who opposed Christianity, who still believed in by what I do I'll become, and that type of thing. It was written to them, and then he said to them, if you can believe what we believe, then we'll have fellowship with each other, and we will be one. That's what he, what he was saying. But if you walk in the light or in the revelation of Jesus Christ, listen to, now, now Jesus said, I am the light. He's the light. If you walk in the light or in Jesus, as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say that we have no sin, now listen to this, this is very important. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the, fru- and the truth is not in us. Now, the context, is not here, the context here is not after you've been cleansed by Jesus Christ. That's not what he's talking about. The context here is, if you have not been cleansed by Jesus Christ, and you then say, you have no sin. Because just the verse prior to that says that, if you are in the revelation of Jesus Christ, then you've been cleansed from all your sins. So, how can you be cleansed from all your sins and say, I have no sin? Uh, or I, that, you, you can't say it that way. Now, listen to this. Just, just listen to the context. He says, if you say that you have no sin, this is the person that does not believe in Jesus. Well, I don't need Jesus to wash away my sins, for I live wholly according to the law. I don't need Jesus to wash away my sins. What sin? It's like Jesus said to the people that you will be set free. They said to him, We've never been in bondage under any man. How do you say we must be set free? If you cannot acknowledge that you are under bondage, you cannot be set free by Jesus Christ. If you cannot acknowledge that you are a sinner first, and that Jesus Christ had to come and forgive you, how will you receive salvation? But after you've received salvation, your sins has been cleansed. You can't then go and say, well, I'm still a sinner. You're not a sinner anymore after Jesus cleansed you. If you, if you, you can still have the mindset that says, without Jesus, I would be a sinner. Yes, that's right. It's the truth. But with Jesus, you are not a sinner. You're the righteousness of God. Amen. You've received the righteousness of God. Now it says, but we say that if we, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is a very important scripture. It says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I believe that is a once-off thing. That's not a daily thing where God daily cleanses you from your unrighteousness because your sin does not make you unrighteous. The sin that the Bible talks about here is the sin of not believing in Jesus for these people weren't in fellowship with John and those people, they weren't in fellowship with the apostles, they were opposing the apostles and saying that those people are preaching a wrong gospel. Then he wrote to them and said to them, man, we, our fellowship is truly with the Father and if you can confess that what you say right now about Jesus is sin 
and receive Jesus as your Savior and start to walk in the same revelation as what we have and don't have the eyes of your understanding darkened, you will find that light comes into you. We have fellowship with each other. If you say that you don't have any sin, um, I mean, you're opposing Christ. If you say you don't have any sin, you're a liar. But if you confess that you are sinning by opposing Jesus, that's the context there, then you will be cleansed of all your sin. Not just the sin of opposing Christ, but every other sin as well. He says, and then uh, um, you, you will be cleansed and have righteousness. Now, this can't be in the context of every time I sin, then I will be cleansed if I confess. Because that means that every time I do something wrong, I'm seen as unrighteous. And then I'll have to use the law as the foundation of righteousness, um, or, or, or the foundation of, am I right or wrong? Have I sinned or not? And then if you use the law for that, then we are always unrighteous again. And we are really taking the whole work of the cross and we are just destroying what Jesus Christ has done for us in the life of the individual that will be foolish enough to believe that every time he does something wrong, he needs to confess that sin, otherwise he is unrighteous again. Now, I'm not saying... Um, and you know so many times we, when we say we don't have to confess your sins we are actually saying listen or that's what people hear we are actually saying it is not a sin just continue as you like it's not what we are saying we are saying when you are in the gospel of grace your life will have the fruit of long suffering gentleness, kindness, meekness, temperance all those things in the measure that you don't have that is the measure in which you are in unbelief towards the finished work of Jesus Christ and is the measure in which you are still under the law which people want to implement as a power unto righteousness. The very thing a lot of people seek for holiness is the very thing that makes them unholy. Man, and I tell you, for, for, for you to see that, you need a revelation from God and only God can give it to you. I can't give it to you. Uh, I mean, we've been at a, a place yesterday where there were other people that also speak the good news. It is just such a unity. You know, all of a sudden you just hear, these people are saying exactly what I'm saying. I came up and they asked me, Bertie, come and say something. Uh, the one guy there knew me, the leader. And he said, Bertie, um, I've heard of you. Wherever I go in South Africa, I hear, I hear your name. Come and just say something. I've never met him. I spoke over the phone once or twice to him and that's it. I spoke and I said, um, you know, it's all about the obedience of Jesus on our behalf. And everybody, yeah, you know, because that's what they believe. It's that revelation, that thing that's opened up. And I can bet you those people that, that's there, if you go and watch their lives, they live holy lives. They're not people that's now in adultery, seeing how drunk they can get and how they can sin and all that. And if you want to measure their works to a normal, typical guy in, in, in church, I don't think they're going to stand back. They also have holiness in their lives. They also have got temperance in their lives. They've also got a faithfulness in their lives and faith and all the good things and love. The only difference is that the fruit that you see there was not born out of willpower, but as a result of a revelation of what God has done and a good relationship with Him. That's the difference. And if we go with this thing, well, every time I do something wrong, I'm unrighteous again, and then I need to confess my sins so that I can become righteous again, you deceived. As simple as that. Any good theologian will tell you that First, uh, first John chapter 1 was not written to the church. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Now it says, in verse 9 again, if we confess our sins, this is now, who's this owl that he's talking about? Talking about the people that is opposing. He says, then we, uh, um, we will be cleansed from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If you say that there was never a time in your life that you had sinned, then you make him a liar and say that I don't need Jesus. So that's the context of that. So there's, there's three places. Number one, everybody has sinned sometime. Once you've received Jesus, you became the righteousness of God. You've received God's righteousness as a gift, free from your works, and everything you've done wrong has not been imputed to you, and now you've been declared righteous because of what God has done for you. Okay? Then, if you were opposing the message of grace, you are sinning. And if you, you are sinning because you don't believe in Jesus, and because you don't believe in Jesus, you say, I stand before God in what I do for God, and then by the law you are found guilty. Okay? The moment you believe and confess that what you've been doing is sin. In other words, if you've been opposing the message of grace, you confess, you say, I have sinned by opposing this message of grace. You will be cleansed from all unrighteousness, the unrighteousness of not believing, and the unrighteousness of all the things the law of Moses found you guilty on. Okay? You'll be cleansed and then you will be righteous. And as long as what you believe that, then you have fellowship with those who believe the grace and you are called a brother. In the, uh, so many times in the, in the Bible, <coughs> the writings, and if you go and interpret the Bible in the correct way, you will find, especially the writings of Paul, he uses the, brother in, the word brother in two ways. The one is towards his Jewish brethren. And the other one is brothers as people that believe the message of grace. And so many times he, he, we confuse that word. And the same with the writings of John. We must see the context in which it was written. If I write, so many times I go and I will say to um, my sister, I will say my real sister, I will go and I say my sister, because she's my sister. But then I will go to, and the lady that works in our house, I will call her sister as well. And then I will, because it's just a way of talking. And then I will call the one who believes the good news, or a, a woman that believes the good news, my sister as well, but every time with a different understanding. Someone that's physically your sister, you call her your sister because she's physically your sister in the sense of we've got the same mother, or the same mother and father. But we, when it comes to a, a, a nation, I will call a, a South African my brother because he's a South African. And in the same way, people were called brethren because they believed the same thing. And we shouldn't confuse this in the Bible. When Paul writes, or John writes to unsaved people, he also calls them brethren. You can go and check that. He, he, he calls, the writer James calls brother people that weren't believing the good news. And then when we, your brother, we say save the church. No, no. Brethren in Christ are those that believe grace together. They are brothers. And those that believe the law together, they are brothers in the law. But we are brothers in Christ. Amen. So we need to understand that and get that clear in our minds. Amen. So that's a very, very important thing 
to understand because he talks about the brethren here and the context of John now is brethren are those who believe the good news. Okay, then you can go and, and, and you can uh, go to chapter 2. He says, My little children, these things are right unto you that you sin not. If, now, chapter 2 and verse 1 starts and now he starts to write to those who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then from chapter 2 on, the letter is directed towards the church. That's, you can go and read it for yourself, study it out for yourself. Let's go to chapter 3. And verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. There's nothing you can do to become a son of God after you've believed in Jesus. Now are you a son of God. A son means an co-heir. A son means as the Father. Son means in the authority of the Father, in the power of the Father. Now we are all of that, but we don't see all of that manifested in our lives now. So, and, and, and I believe that is supposed to bring peace to us. Because the full manifestation of our sonship will be in the return of the Lord. And where you don't see a full manifestation of sonship, don't be sad. Just say, thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps me to overcome this area where I find weakness in my life, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm a son of God and that I'm a co-heir, that I am complete and in His fullness, in His righteousness, in His completeness already. Amen. Because the complete manifestation will be when He does appear and when we see Him as He is, for we shall be as Him. Okay, and every man that has this hope in him, this confident expectation, that when the Lord returns, I will be exactly like him, for I am, for I will see him as he is, and I am already now like him. Everybody that's got that hope in him, this is verse 3, and every man that has his hope in him, purifies himself, even as he is pure. By having a confident expectation, saying, When Jesus appears, I will be just like Him, for I will see Him as He is, and I am now already a son of God. How I will look then, I don't know, but I know I will be like Him, for I am already born of God and like Him today. Every person that has this expectation in Him purifies himself as He is pure. By what? By trying to live right? No, no. By having that hope. By having that expectation in his heart. Amen. Hallelujah. So, if you live under the law, you will purify yourself as pure as what you can get by your willpower by trying to live holy. But if you are expecting to see, and if you say, man, as Jesus is in heaven, so am I now in this world. I don't yet see that full manifestation in my life. But that's okay. But I know so much, and I'm so assured that I am like Him, that when He comes, I will be like Him, because I will see Him as He is. For as what I see, I am reflecting that in my life. Maybe I don't see everything that I am today, but I know that when I see His fullness, I will be like Him. For I am already like Him. 
and I am not going to break my mind over the areas where I don't see the full manifestation of that, for I live by faith and not by sight. That's what the Bible says, and that's a true context of that scripture that says we live by faith and not by sight. The true context of that scripture, I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, says that, yes, I am in the fullness of God now. I don't see the full manifestation, but I don't live by what I see. But I live by what I believe. Amen. That's how I live. Thank you, Jesus. So, I'm not going to be made out a sinner anymore. But you might say, but badly I see sin in your life. Then you might say, then I will tell you according to what law do you see sin. Then you will say according to the law of Moses. Then I will say, I've been delivered from the law of Moses and I am in the fullness of God and I'm righteous in the name of Jesus and I refuse to be called a sinner. That's it. And some of the songs we use, we, we will say a sinner. But then we, and, and I say most of the time before we sing that song, I say to the people, when we sing that song, we sing it actually as a declaration of our dependence upon God that says, without Him, we are a sinner. You know, and, and I, I came to Jesus empty-handed. I'm not empty-handed now. The works of Jesus Christ has been given to me in my hands. But when I say, I was found empty-handed in your grace, I'm full. It means, it's just a, 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 a reminding of what God has freely given, given us. Amen. That's all it is. But when it comes to righteousness, no, we are righteous by Jesus Christ. I'm not going to say that I'm committing this sin and I'm committing that sin and committing that sin anymore. According to the law, yes, you commit sins. And according to unbelief in areas of your life towards Jesus Christ, you might commit a sin because you don't believe the right way. But by my works, I cannot be called a sinner anymore. Only by unbelief can I be called a sinner. And that's what the Bible says. So, and, and I wanted to just really touch this, and we're going to get to some awesome revelation now. It says, Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law. Let's read just verse 3 again. And every man that has this hope of what Jesus has done purifies himself even as he is pure. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Whosoever abides in Him sins not. Now, I mean, how do you argue with that? You can't argue with that. We have been made the righteousness of God. But we can't in, our back, in the back of our minds still believe we sinners and we want to live a holy life. You can't in the back of your mind, believe that you are just under grace, but you're actually this bad sinner as well when you do things wrong. So you're a sinner and a, and a holy person. And that's why in your life you find holiness and sin. Because you're half partially under the law. This is what he says. He says, listen, if you are under this expectation and under the belief that says that as He is, so am I today, that I am holy, and when He appears, I will be like Him. If you've got that thing in your mind and in your heart, you are purifying yourself. And you are purifying yourself in your works, in your deeds, not by saying, listen, if you have this, go and purify your works. What we are saying is, if you have this, by this you are purifying your works. If you've got anything else, and saying, well, I'm not like him now, you are not purifying yourself, but you are making yourself dirty. 
you are causing yourself to walk in sin. Because you are partially under the law. And every man that has this hope, what hope? That, just verse 2 again, I want to read it again. Beloved, now we, we are the sons of God, or born of God. Jesus Christ came and, 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 and He said that He's the Son of God. They said, they wanted to kill Him, for He made Himself equal with God by saying He's the Son of God. Now the Bible says, now we are the sons of God. We are in the similitude, in the likeness, in the awesome splendor of God. Now, and I, uh, and, uh, beloved, now we are the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. It does not yet appear. Now is not appearing what I will be at the return of the Lord. But it doesn't change the fact that I am a son of God, born of God, walking in the fullness of God, having the fullness of God, indwelling me in the Spirit, and I live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Amen. What we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. In other words, and every man that has this expectation, saying, I am already in the fullness of God, and when He but it does not yet do appear or manifest, but when He appears, when He manifests, the, who He is will manifest in me and I will be exactly like Him. He who has this hope in Him purifies Himself even as He is pure. Remember the scripture that says, Be holy as God is holy. The only way for you to be holy as God is holy is by having this hope in you. Hallelujah. This confident expectation inside you. It's the only way you can walk holy. Don't try and say, well, we need to be holy as God is holy. Go and do holy things now. Stop your sin. And you are wasting your time implementing a system that will cause more frustration, more death, more hatred, more uh, fighting and, and all that in the world. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that He was manifested. Take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Whosoever abides in Him sins not. Whosoever sins has not seen Him, neither known Him. So you can't go around as a good news believer thinking you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. No, no. It's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says here, and, and we can read this and it's clear, um, whosoever sins has not seen Him, neither known Him. Now, have you seen Jesus? Or Now, the Bible also says that nobody has seen Jesus <laughs> in the full manifestation of who He is today. No one. Uh, uh, John didn't see Jesus. He saw a vision of Jesus. That's what I believe. It's a revelation in, in visions and stuff. I mean, Jesus doesn't have all these horns coming out of His head and all those type of things. That's vision speaking of of Jesus. If you go and read um, in Timothy, Paul writes, Paul, the one that, that, that saw the bright light on the road, he says that Jesus indwells that bright light. He just saw the light and he was blinded. What about Jesus that indwells the light? Now, when it says here that you have not seen him, neither known him, it means you, do, you don't have any revelation or experience of Jesus. Why? Because you are still under the law. That's what he says. 
And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins. And in Him is no sin. So if you are in Christ, you are not a sinner. Not because you are doing everything right according to the law. But because you're not part of a system that makes you a sinner anymore. That's why. And so many times when we tell people, we're not, you know, you're not a sinner anymore. What, what people hear is, you know, adultery is not sin. You can go and do it now and enjoy your life. If that's what you hear, you're a fool. Because that's not what we are saying. We are saying when you're under the Spirit, there's a fruit of being in the Spirit. And we want to take away the law system that causes so much devastation in the lives of people because not of the laws, because of the law being unholy, but because of man's inability to do that law. Whosoever abides in him sins not. Whosoever sins has not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth, he that does righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Now what is Doing righteousness. He says here, um, we must connect verse 7 to verse 3. It says, little children, let him, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness. Now, what is doeth righteousness? We've explained in, in depth in six or seven sessions what it means to do righteousness or to do the word of God. It is to stand in the message of God's grace. To stand in the message of God's unconditional love. According to verse 3, it says, Every man that has this hope in him, in other words, it has the hope of, uh, um, I am already like God, that expectation, and when he comes, that fullness that's already in me will manifest. He purify himself by having that hope. As he is pure. It says here, He that doeth righteousness, or that has this hope in him, or that believes in Jesus Christ, is righteous as he is righteous. Or, as he says here, pure as he is pure. By having the same hope. So how do you do righteousness? By having the hope that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you do righteousness. He that commits sin is of the devil. (laughs) Man, if you don't understand the good news, that scripture will condemn you to the uttermost. He that commits sin is of the devil. He that says, I'm still in sin, you're of the devil. Why are you of the devil? Because your belief system is born out of Satan. As simple as that. Jesus came and said to the Pharisees, you are born of your father, the devil. You go over land and sea to make one disciple... And then you make him him twice as much the son of hell as what you are yourself. So, of the devil is he that sins, he that's under the law, that makes him a sinner. That's what it is. If you do something wrong today, like you maybe shout at your children or whatever, it doesn't mean you're off the devil. That's not what it means. But if you are under the law, and under the law you are found a sinner, and what you believe is, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in this thing of, I'm righteous by my works, by by just believing, and just having this hope. No, I am righteous, and and I'm going to, in the name of Jesus, live right and do right, and you found a sinner, you know what you're actually saying? You're saying, I don't qualify, and I'm off Satan. That's what you're saying. Now, don't be upset with me. Talk to God about what He wrote through John. Amen.
But if you have a question, you can write. Amen. We'll answer it. Right. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of Man was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Man, that is as simple as what is just reading it. It needs no explanation. Let me read it again, and the scripture explains itself. Whosoever is born of God, whatsoever comes forth as a result of believing what God has done, does not commit sin. So, the man who I am today is because of what I believe in Jesus, so I don't commit sin. If you take the law and you want to put me under the law, you'll find sin. But I'm not under the law. I'm not under the law. It's like saying to me, when I drive 120, I'm committing sin if you're somebody that is from uh, the United States for your law there says you're only allowed, allowed to drive 90. Now I drive 120 and you say, but you are committing sin. According to your law, yes, but not according to my way of living. I'm not. Is it still fast? Is it still speeding? Is it still... I've heard, I don't know how true it is, but in the outback in Australia, there are roads there that's got no speed limit. I don't know how true it is, but that's what some people say. Away from towns and whatever, go as fast as what your car can go. Now, if I go there at 320, is that irresponsible? Of course. Is that dangerous? Of course it's dangerous. But there's no law that, commit, that makes me a sinner, even if it's dangerous. If I go on the autobahn in Germany, and I go 280, is it dangerous to go at 280? It's dangerous to go at 280. Is it, is it fast? It is fast. But it's not a sin. Because there's no law making that thing a sin. But I tell you now, even if I'm on the autobahn and my wife and I, we're together on that motorbike, I'm not going to go 280. I'm not going to do it because there's just something in me that says, man, I must, my, my wife can't go like, I, she will just say no. The thing that's inside me that loves us says, I will not do it. But it, the only thing that makes it a sin is the law that you are under. And I tell you, while I say that, I can hear fear in the hearts of people that will, will hear this. Because they will say, what will make us holy? Are you saying, you know, adultery is not a sin? Are you saying that drunkenness is not a sin and smoking is not a sin? You know, the three sins of the church. Adultery, drinking and smoking. And sometimes gambling, if the pastor does not play the lotto. You know, I'm not saying... Go and live in adultery. What I'm saying is forget about the thing if adultery is a sin or not. Believe what Jesus Christ has done for you and let the Holy Spirit start living you and you will find the life of God. And we don't have to have this extra guidelines because the salvation plan of God in Jesus Christ is powerful enough to make God manifest in your life. And if you say, listen man, but this thing, uh, this thing is not going to work. Do you know, if you say, Bathy, that is a message of sin. Do you know what you're actually saying? You're actually blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. That's what you're doing. You're busy with a sin that is unforgivable. 
And unless you repent and start to believe the good news, if you continue to believe what you believe, saying this message of grace is a license to sin, you cannot be forgiven for saying that. Now that is, I think it's time that somebody says it that way. For that's the way it is. While you believe that and while you commit that, there's no forgiveness for you. But let me tell you something. While you commit maybe stealing something, there's forgiveness for you. For Jesus Christ came to forgive you. But there's one sin that cannot be forgiven. And that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Saying that the Spirit's work is of the devil. And the Spirit's work today is to make you righteous by simply believing that when you're not under a law, but standing in the finished work of Jesus, how He fulfilled the law on your behalf, you are made righteous. When you believe that, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to get you pure as Jesus is pure, righteous as Jesus is righteous. If you oppose that, my friend, there's no salvation for you. How can you be saved? By what sacrifice? By some other sacrifice you want to bring to Jesus? You want to be saved? There's no other sacrifice for you. In this the children of, the, of God, in this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now that is something awesome and we're getting into that now. Remember now chapter 1 uh, where we spoke about brethren believing the same thing. For this is the message that they heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain. Now listen to the love that we have for one another. We've interpreted this so wrongly so many times. And as I read this, uh, God just revealed this to me. It was just revealed. So many times we think we love our brother, our brethren. That means now we must love everybody. I'm not saying we should not love everybody. I'm not saying we should not love a sinner. Love for a sinner is natural in our hearts. Love for people are natural in our hearts. But what happens is so many times we fight, we've got a quarrel with somebody. Um, uh, uh, I mean, man, my wife and I will quarrel sometimes. Man, sometimes I've even got an argument with myself. So, how are we going to walk in this perfect 100% super duper love that nobody has ever seen and maybe there's one or two ins- incidents where we really see the full manifestation of the love of God in the hearts of people and walking that 24-7 towards all people is going to be very difficult. Now, that's what so many times we think we must do, but that's not what this scripture says here. I'm not saying hate people, but what I'm saying is let's understand the truth of First John. It says, let's love one another and the context here is the, the, the brethren. Verse 10. In this is the children of God manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. If you are, and and I want to explain this, if you are not loving the message of righteousness and the people that are born out of the message of righteousness, this is what this is actually saying and the context. Because, People were opposing the people that believed in the unconditional love of God. He says, if you are not doing righteousness, believing in Jesus, or if you are hating those that preach righteousness, you are of the devil. That's what he says. Because the love that he talks about here is amongst the brethren that believe the message of grace. Because there were people that said, no, I believe the grace of God, I believe the grace of God, I believe in Jesus. But they were oppressing those that really believe the grace of God. 
That's what the scripture says. Let's read it again. In this is the children of God manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness, in other words, believes in Jesus or has this hope in him, is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. Or, in other words, if you say that I mean this and you don't love your brother, what brother? The brother in the Lord. The brother in Jesus Christ. If you oppress him, for this is the message that we've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, and now I want to tell you why it says the brother in the Lord. Not as Cain who has that uh, who was of the wicked one and slew his brother and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Amen. Marvel not, my brethren, that the world hate you. So what does he say? He says, the world will hate you for you are speaking for righteousness. The world is not speaking for righteousness. Their message is the message of sin. Not saying that you must sin, saying that you should not sin by obeying the law. Producing sin in your life, making you a sinner. Therefore, they've got the message of sin. Actually declaring you, after the implementation of the law, as a sinner. Where we go and we preach the gospel of grace, making people righteous, if they can just believe it. So, we've got a message of righteousness. Our works is works of righteousness. Those who are under the law are works the works of sin and unrighteousness. He says, let's not be as Cain oppressing those who preach righteousness. He was of the wicked one. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. See, here the context. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Because we love those that are in the message of righteousness, we know that we've passed from death to life. Because when my brother preaches righteousness, when I look at television, a television message, I see here's a guy preaching righteousness. I love him. I love what he says. I love it. By, by that thing coming into my heart, it's another sign that says, yes, I'm of the light. I've passed from darkness into light. For I love the message of righteousness. I love those that are in the light. As Jesus in the light. I love those who's got this hope in them. Amen. I'm not saying that we should now hate others. No. We love all people. By the love that we have, we love the sinners. And the love that we have for them is because of the value that God has placed upon those that's never believed on Jesus. For He died for the world. Okay? But then there's another love in our hearts that thing that just this is awesome. This guy believes the same thing. I've seen it when, when the people that believe the finished work of Jesus come together. There's just this buzz, man. This love. You know, when I when I hear it, I don't care if this brother is rich or poor, um, white or black or whatever. If he comes onto that TV station and he preaches grace, there's a love for me. There's, there's something that says, let's give this guy money. Let's support him. Amen. And that's what this is talking about. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. If you hate somebody that's in the message of grace, you're a murderer. And you listen to this, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So it's because eternal life is not abiding in you that you are oppressing grace and being against the message of God's unconditional love. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. That's what happens. We start to just give our lives for those people. 
we all, uh, but whoso ever has this world's goods, now it talks about the manifestation of love towards the brethren. Remember, Paul also writes and he says that do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And I believe that's also in that light that we read this. But whosoever has his world's goods and see his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion, deliberately goes, he feels the compassion of God, shuts it up. How? In what way will the love of God dwell in him? If we, don't can, if we can't practically go towards the brethren, those that believe this good news, go and help them, in what way will the love of God dwell within us? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, he says, my brethren, this love of God that is in us is going to manifest in only one way, and that is by physically going, doing things for each other. If you don't have any love in you for your brother, it's because you are opposed, uh, oppressing that measure that he believes in. Okay? If you don't have love for a good news brother, if I want to put it that way, the message of grace, it's because of a wrong belief system in you and that's why you will not show love towards Him. If you love Him, if you feel this love for Him and you don't practically go and do things now for Him, how will this love now manifest? That's what He's saying. My little children, let us not love in word, but in deed. And hereby know we that we are of the truth and we shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our hearts condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And knoweth all things. Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. So what he's saying is, listen man, God's even greater than your heart if your heart condemns you and you feel you don't, um, haven't given something to somebody that's of the household of faith. Let me explain this quickly and we end off with this. <clears throat> and I just want to recap on everything. Number one, brethren are those, according to John, that believe the same word. Okay, If you don't love your brother, it's because you're in a different word. If you love your brother, it's because you're in the same word. If you love him, the only way your love is going to manifest is when you do something for your brother. If you now have not done something, if you do something for your brother and you live in love towards those of that household of faith, your heart just says, man... I believe this message of grace to the point that I even love these people. I feel this love for God. I feel love for the people that believe the same thing. And that brings assurance in our hearts that we are believing the right thing. If your heart condemns you, if you think I haven't loved the way I should love, God's even greater than your heart. Amen. That's what it says. Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then have we confidence towards God. And whosoever, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. Why? Because we keep His commandments. And do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of Jesus Christ and love one another, the people that believe this now, as He gave us commandment. Isn't that awesome? Hallelujah. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to just say again, I'm not saying we shouldn't love other people. I just want to explain the love that He talks about in John. Love between brethren. Loving the message of grace. If you are watching this today and you can't handle somebody that preaches grace, there's a very big chance that you are not born of God, but of the evil one. For why will you oppose such a message of the cross, giving Jesus all the glory, not your works, what He's done? Your mind, is the way you think, has been born out of laws and rules and regulations, and I must become, which is actually satanic. 
Now that is, man, that is a hard word. And you might say, Betty, you are rebuking me so hard and, and, and it hurts me. Now, two things. Number one, when I preach this, I preach this in love for the saints and love for people that, that don't even believe. I love you. God loves you. That's why we preach this. And the Bible also says, rebuke is not pleasurable. If I get rebuked, you know what? It's not nice. That's the way it is. If I, maybe you are sincere. You've been believing this, the, the, the Bible and really, like, like the Jewish people, having, you've had such a, a, a passion and zeal for what you believed in. And now we come and you get rebuked or corrected. I don't even want to use the word rebuke. You get corrected through the word. It's not nice to know that you've been wrong. It's not nice to know that you maybe have been misleading people. But I want to say to you, come to the throne of grace that you might obtain help and mercy in the time of need. God loves you. God cares for you. So do we because of the love of God that indwells our hearts. Hallelujah. Man, it is, this is just such an awesome message. Um, this is what the world needs to hear. Amen. Amen. Let this just fall into your heart. Let it just touch your belief system. Let it just touch that unconditional love. That God, or that, that place where unconditional love flows out of your heart. Let it touch it. Say, God, thank you that you indwell me. Amen. I want to say again, just for those of you who, who's in any doubt, I'm not saying that um, the law, there's no law, therefore the things of the law that was wrong is uh, we condone that, go and do it. Nobody ever said that. If you heard that, it was not said. It, if, if, if you heard that, I want to actually say this, if you heard that, you know, it's, it's a sign of unbelief in the finished work. Because that was not what was said. It's a sign of the, uh, the veil that's upon your eyes. And I don't want to accuse you and say, oh yeah, you're under the veil. I want to just help you and say, listen, see it as that. You are still loved of God. If your heart condemns you, man, come to God. He's greater than your heart. Amen. But be honest with yourself. If that's what you hear, if you hear Beth is giving a license to sin and nobody's not going to be committed, and what, you, it, it is that unrenewed mind speaking. That it's a manifestation of not knowing the power that comes through the new birth in believing, having this hope that purifies us. You might say, Beth, how can such a simple message make people live holy? Well, I don't know. It's just the way it is. It's by the power of God. It's because it's the truth. It's because of God's power in His Spirit that He placed behind the simple message so that everybody can be godly and have godliness in their hearts. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If this has blessed you, I would love to hear from you. We're going to just have a, a cell group right afterwards. And we, we've got another meeting in the week as well. And we will have more meetings in the week. We will... Um, tell you about that, but if you want to slot in right after this on the um, uh, 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 Skype, we will be talking to you about that, it will be good to chat to some of you, and uh, man, let me just pray for you, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, you were still your own Savior in the name of Jesus now you want Jesus to be your Savior in the name of Jesus, it's now your opportunity to receive Jesus the Bible says, let's uh, receive salvation while, while it's the day of salvation. Now is the time of salvation. 
uh, after the return of the Lord is not the time of salvation. After you've died is not the time of salvation. The time of salvation is now when you can receive salvation. So I would like to pray with you. If you never received this, I want you to just receive this by faith. There's some of you that might say, Beck, this is so good, I just want to receive it again. Just, just, it's just so nice. Do it. Amen. Let's just pray together and you can just follow me in this prayer. Father, I thank you that people that are listening right now can receive Jesus as their Savior. I want you to, people to pray these words. Say, Jesus Christ, thank you for dying for me. I believe in what you've done for me. I receive you as my Savior. I am made the righteousness of God by Jesus Christ right now. I'm aware of it. And I respond to the invitation to the meal. I'm there. Thank you, Jesus. I receive the Holy Spirit that renews my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If you've been blessed by this, please send us an, an, an email. Even if you hear this a uh, year from now, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, whenever you hear this, and you, it will be good to just hear from you, make contact with you. You know how encouraging it is to hear messages from all over the world, and we get them on a daily basis of how people are touched by the finished work of Jesus. It just encourages us. Like <clears throat> the one guy that works for me, um, he wasn't even saved. He came and he started to listen to the messages. I think it's two months now. He says there's no way that he's not going to be a pastor. He is so into this. And you know how this encourages us to see. It makes it all just like worth the while. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you that you've listened and we're going to play out with this song. And... Um, I know this is going to bless you. Listen to this. It is a beautiful song, the Father's song over your life. God bless you.